Now, well, let's <coughs> come now to the Word of God. I, I'm going to speak on the subject <coughs> of the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ. And that's based on uh, verse 27 of John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. These words of the Lord come from a long conversation of discourse that the Lord Jesus had with his disciples just a few short hours before he would die upon the cross. It's a very remarkable thing that despite the prospect of the cross, the suffering ahead of him, and him, the Lord Jesus knowing that he would be put to death in this way. He spends his last few hours not thinking about himself, but trying to build faith, trying to build joy, and trying to build peace into his disciples. And this conversation is a very intimate, a very personal conversation around the table Passover table. The meal was over. Judas had left. Jesus had said, whatever you're going to do, do quickly. And he went out into the night and shut the door behind him. Leaving this small, close group of disciples on their own with John leaning no doubt upon the bosom of the Lord Jesus Christ. So full of love for Christ, and Christ so full of love for him. And Jesus explains that he was to leave them, and they're sorrowful, but Jesus promises them comfort and peace, which, would, which they would have in him after he left. And so he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Christ is telling them that he is going to die and leave them, but that he will not leave them alone. I will not leave you comfortless, which an alternative translation you'll see in your um, King James. is: I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so it's like a father who knows he's soon going to die, and he gathers his children around him, and he explains what he is going to leave them after he is gone. And Jesus says he's going to come in the person of the Holy Spirit because God is one. Another comforter. He will come again at the second coming. He's going to prepare places, mansions for them in the new heavens and the new earth. And all this will be for your comfort, Jesus says. And in addition to all of that, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. And so I've got three very simple headings to go through this verse with us today. The first heading is the inheritance of peace that Christ 
has left us. The inheritance of peace that Christ has left us. This is one of the, um, well, it must be the most, the best inheritance that anyone has ever left to their children. The legacy that Christ has left to his church is described in the Bible or in scripture as his last will and testament. The diatheke of Christ, the New Testament. And in the New Testament, we have the record of Christ's will. His will and testament. And of course, he has decided to leave all his estate to his children. Peace I leave with you, he says. He leaves peace to his children. Hebrews 9 verse 15 says, And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. And so what the Lord Jesus is doing around this Passover table is going through the will. It's going through what the inheritance will be. And one aspect, there's only one, so we can have time for this morning. One aspect of this inheritance, this glorious and eternal inheritance, is this peace. Christ's peace. That belongs to all of his children. Everything Christ left belongs to all of his children. It says that in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 21, Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or things present or things to come, all are yours, all ye, and ye are Christ's, and Christ's is God. You see, the Christian is very rich. The richness of the Christian's great interest is, is, is incredible because the Christian has been bequeathed an inheritance from our great testator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus goes through mansions in his father's house Permission to ask the Father for whatever we need in his name. The promise of the Holy Spirit. His Father's presence. The Son's presence forever. He promises fullness of joy. He promises fruitfulness and holiness. If we abide in the vine. He promises victory over the world. In our, and in our specific text today, he promises Christ's peace. His own peace. Well, that's worth more than a million dollars, isn't it? Surely. And as Christ discourses upon all these things, there is one thing that he knew, that his will, his New Testament, could not be put into effect unless and until he died. Hebrews 9 verse 17, it says, For a testament is a force after men are dead. 
Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So, dear friends, I want us to understand this morning that all of our blessings, including this peace, are blood-bought blessings. They are the achievements of the cross. Because Christ had to die before the Testament, the New Testament, could come into effect. Even in terms of just this one aspect, peace, Christ had to die before it could be left to us. Of course, when we look at the scripture more broadly, we realise that it was always the plan of God through Christ to bring peace to his people. Peace with God, peace with each other, and peace within. Peace within is the focus of our text which the Lord Jesus is emphasising but this peace within this internal peace cannot be experienced without peace with God and without peace with each other peace of Christ the peace that Christ left us is a very full peace it's a real peace that's what I want to explain this morning. It's not just a psychological piece. It's realistic. It's robust. It's built on true foundations. And it's an anchor for the soul. This piece of Christ stands the test of time because it is built on the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah prophesied, didn't he, that Jesus would be the Prince of Peace. And the angels at his birth sang glory to God in the highest on earth peace. When speaking of peace, many servants I've heard make this peace sound, sound like some kind of ethereal state of mind or some socialist um, manifesto. But this peace is hard won for us. This peace is bought with blood. Not our blood, the blood of Christ. It's a peace that had to be gained and, left, and then left to us in a divine will. The New Testament. The scriptures give three elements to this peace as I've already mentioned. Peace with God, peace with each other and peace within. But it's the first kind of peace, peace with God, which is the foundation for the other two. You can't have peace with others and you can't have peace within until you have peace with God. And that's why I say we should not preach about peace in a soppy or sentimental way. Christ had to die to achieve this peace. The Apostle Paul said so in Colossians 1.20 and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. And so it's through the cross that Christ has obtained peace and reconciliation with God. And whoever believes in Christ and relies on him for forgiveness of this, 
of their sins. Whoever relies on Christ's merit to cover the shame of their guilt receives God's full acceptance and is immediately adopted into the family of God. And as a member of the family, you become a beneficiary of the New Testament in Christ's blood. You become a beneficiary to the will because you become a child. And once you're in this new and wonderful position with God, with Christ, just about everything you can say about that builds peace in your life. It's peace and answer, both towards others and towards yourself. Just think, just think about that for a minute. What, what could induce peace in our lives more than knowing that I am now fully accepted by God? That I'm no more his enemy, but now I'm his friend. To know that I'm no longer under condemnation from God. That I'm no, long, no longer under the curse-like sentence of the law. To know that I'm safe from the eternal misery of hell. To know that as a Christian, that no power of darkness can touch me. That I shall live and not die. That I have no reason to fear the day of judgment. That's going to build, that, that, what peace that must give and should give us this morning. It gave the Apostle Paul peace. And he had a lot of things on his mind, let me tell you. He said, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I wonder if we really understand this morning as Christians that we are in a very safe, a very secure refuge in God. On a recent holiday, we went to Berry Head in Brixham and uh, we're walking towards the cliff and noticed popping out of the ground there was an entrance to a Cold War Royal Observer Corps post. And there are around 1,500 of these across Britain. And we could call them their small nuclear bunkers. Little nuclear bunkers where these soldiers in the event of nuclear war would, would go into and they would take measurements and they were supposed then to hop out and report back. I think the hopping out and reporting back may have been a bit tricky, but there are, as I say, many of these, the subterranean, subterranean bunkers all across Britain. And for the few soldiers that can fit in them, it can provide shelter from the storm of a nuclear war. Being in Christ, 
is shattered from the blast wave of all the explosions and all the disasters and all the difficulties of our lives. To be in Christ is to be in a, in a safe refuge. The great promise, the great messianic promise of Isaiah 30, 32 verse 2 states, And a man, that is the Lord Jesus of course, and a man shall be as a hiding place from the wind, and a covert from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a rock in a weary land. The Lord Jesus is a hiding place from the wind. He's the hiding place from the wind of our lives. And my friends, that is the true foundation for peace. And I want to ask, do we know, do you know, this peace with God? Because unless you know peace with God, you'll never know peace with others, you'll never know peace within. The second heading, second point, is about the peace that Christ has made for us. The peace that Christ made for us. Christ left us peace, but Christ has also made us peace. Notice Jesus says, My peace I give unto you. The peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. This peace is Christ's peace. The peace that he knew personally. Because as the suffering servant, he had to find refuge in God as well. He had to find refuge in his Father. And what storms the Lord Jesus Christ faced in his life. In his estate of humiliation, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Men hated him. Devils opposed him. He had no secure housing. His disciples exasperated him. He was tempted and tested. At times he had no time to eat. He literally had the weight of the world on his shoulders. He knew fights without, he knew fights within. And he felt the awesome weight of the commission his father had given him. And we read of how the pressure of that weight caused blood to flow with his sweat as he prayed in the garden. An extremely rare condition known as hematohydrosis, where the capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture, causing them to exude blood. And this happens very rarely, but is when it is under conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress. Fear and intense mental contemplation are the most frequent causes of it. And so there in the garden, Jesus is praying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. And he's under such mental anguish that the blood 
flows with his sweat. But the thing is, you see, Christ, even through all this suffering, knew peace. He, made, he was making this peace. And this peace, that kind of peace, the peace that he shaped in the fires of his own suffering is what he leaves us in his inheritance. He achieved it, he lived it, he defined it, he crafted it. It's his peace, the Christ, the peace of Christ. And on the cross he bore the wrath of God on our behalf and for a short while his peace was broken with God. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me as the eternal punishment for sins came upon him? Sins past, sins present, sins future. The punishment was poured upon him. And in unspeakable waves of suffering, eternal hell was contracted into a span of time and was poured upon his head. Christ says, my God, why have you forsaken me? But even on the cross, his peace returned. When with a loud voice Jesus cried, my Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, with full control of himself, he gave up his spirit. To God. Dear friends, one of the central claims of true Christianity is that the gospel gives to the human soul the peace of Christ. And that is offered to you and to me personally in the gospel to anyone who will receive the gospel. This is Christ's peace. Which means, if it's Christ's peace, it means it cannot mean the absence of pain or the removal of pain. It cannot mean the removal of problems. That's a false gospel. People are preaching it all over the place. That they become a Christian and everything will be rosy and you can be happy all the day. There are even songs that have that in it. But that's not real Christianity. This peace is the kind of peace you find where? In the midst of pain and in the midst of suffering. It's peace in the storm. It's peace in a world like this. It's peace in a life like yours. That's the difference. The test of any religion, the test of any philosophy, is does it hold you in a crisis? It's when the storms come that you discover on what foundation your life is built, whether your life is built on sand or whether your life is built on the solid rock. When the blast, wave come, blast waves come, that's when you find out on what your life is built. When you lose your loved one, 
when you lose your health, when you feel like you're losing your mind, when your wealth takes wings and flies away, when you simply can't cope anymore, when you're in the darkest place. It's that, it's in those situations that the Christian can know not any kind of peace, but can know Christ's peace. This peace, which works because it's forged in the fires of suffering and mental and physical anguish, intense enough to cause blood to flow with sweat. It's Christ's peace, it works. It holds you, it conquers, it endures. Christ died to leave it to you and to me. And it's yours to have in Christ. Paul described this peace in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, in this way. He said, it's the peace of God which passeth all understanding. Well, if we were to take that literally, and I do, it means that this peace is mind-boggling. It's mind-bending peace. It's peace that defies human explanation. It's peace in places where peace shouldn't be. It's peace in people where it shouldn't be. It's peace in the council ward, peace on the operating theatre, peace in battle, it's peace at the graveside, it's peace at the tribunals of men, it's peace in persecution, and it can even be peace in the martyrs' fire. And we wonder at this, can it be true? But Jesus says so, he says, my peace, I leave. I give rather unto you. And then lastly, it is the peace. Well, let me put it this way, let's start again. The third point is the peace of the world fails us. The peace of the world fails us. Notice finally that Christ's peace is very different from the peace on offer from the world. He says, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. The world does offer peace, but it's not Christ's peace. It's of an inferior quality. For one thing, the peace of Christ is eternal, and what the world offers is temporary. The world's peace is fake because it attempts to turn our eyes away from suffering. What does the world offer? It offers entertainment. It offers pleasures. It offers everything to take our minds off the awful reality of the way things are. And the great rise in worry and anxiety is evidence for the fact that it's just not working. It's not robust enough. It doesn't last. Pleasures, entertainment put you into a kind of dream. But the problem is you always have to wake up. 
doesn't last. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7 31, the fashion of this world passeth away. Well, that's true. I can think of hundreds of fashions that have come and gone, even in my life. Paul wrote in, John wrote rather, the world passeth away with the lust thereof. It doesn't last. The world's peace is different than Christ's peace because the world tells us to find peace within ourselves. Whereas Christ says, find your peace in me. Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, the world thinks you can find peace within. It goes on and on about mindfulness all the time. This mindfulness where we are supposed to find a state of being com- completely focused on the present moment. We can only just focus on the and just not be distracted by other people and other things, but just live in that moment. Then we'll find peace. What does the Bible say in complete contrast? It says through the prophets this, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. You see, peace doesn't come from within. It comes from without. It comes from looking unto Jehovah and having our minds stayed upon him. The world offers peace through drug taking and alcohol. You see, people are afraid of being alone with themselves. People are very rarely alone now. And when they are, they're scared to death. To be someone alone with no noise, with no earphones. And even the rush of alcohol, even the first hit of a drug is a kind of company that stops you from facing yourself and truly being alone. And I wonder, dear friend, what you're like when you're alone, naked, before God. Are you a person who has peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ? The Gospel is a call to renounce the world's way of finding peace. I don't say the world doesn't offer peace, I admit that. But it corrupts you and will ultimately destroy you. It's a kind of peace you get from being sedated from alcohol or drugs or entertainment. It can't work in the full reality, in the full light of the reality of human life. And Jesus calls sinners to renounce the world and to turn to him. To believe in him. When we say you must believe in Jesus, I think sometimes we think it's just saying a sentence, saying, well, I believe in you, Jesus, but it's not that. Believing in Jesus means having faith that Christ can be all your happiness, that you don't need anything else but Him. Finding fulfilment in Him 
alone. God in his mercy allows us to keep and to enjoy good things from this world. But he calls us to worship him and him only. And if we and he will fulfill, he promises to fulfill our desires. Isaiah 61 verse 3 says that he gives us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's what you'll find if you come to Christ. The new believer finds peace in Christ because he has left peace for sinners. No matter how low they have sunk, no matter how disgusted we are with ourselves, no matter how ashamed we are of our past life, Christ heals the brokenhearted and binds up our wounds. Just the last comment and then we'll finish. Do you know this world is full of broken people. But the good news is that the gospel is for broken people. The church is not, this may be a shock to you, but the church is not for those who have got it all together. The church is for broken people too. A real church has a kind of hospital smell. It's a place where people come with all their brokenness and all their problems and find a place of healing. A church should be a maternity unit where new life is born. Some need more attention than others, but everyone is a sinner saved by grace. Let us pray that this place, this church, will be a hospital for sick and wounded souls, where together we can heal and grow in Christ. Others will wonder at us. They wondered at Christ. How could you sleep, Lord Jesus? Through that storm, they will think, well, how can you have peace when you, all this is going on in your life, when all this is going on in the world? And we will be able to say, we have peace because we know one who even the winds and even the sea will obey. Dear friends, we may be surrounded by enemies today. One day we might be in the midst of persecution and martyrdom. And I believe we will then find the words of the psalmist to be true. And with these words I close. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about Praise God and for the peace of Christ.